I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I am a philosopher, pastor, and writer in Greeley, Colorado. Actually, I am in Granby, Colorado right now and loving it. And with me is (laughs) TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are with the Sean Isaac Palmer. Yes. We are continuing our deep dive into The Last Dance. Yep. We did not get very far in our first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We got through maybe the first episode, but now it's on. We have the foundation in place and we're going to roll now. Let's do it. I'm in. So since we're talking about sports and documentaries and sports films, uh, you got a favorite sports movie? Okay, so I'm going to tell you the truth. I hate sports movies. What? Cut cut the cut the recording. <laughs> <laughs> tell me tell me why. Uh, because most of them are saccharine and unrealistic <laughs> and just pablum like I um I like Blades of Glory. <laughs> Speaking, Speaking of realistic. Because it's because it's funny, but like at most sports movies are just sort of hallmarky unrealism dressed up in uh, with with a sport attached to it. So I don't like I'm and so here's the thing. Yeah. What's the uh what's the Kevin Costner movie that everybody the baseball movie Field of the, Dreams. Field of, never Bo- seen it. Bull Durham? Never oh, seen God. it. So It's bad if, for your soul. If I had to honestly if I had to say I liked one um the, my favorite is 8 Men Out. Sure. So I love 8 Men Out. But most sports movies, I'm like, save it because it's not, it's kind of like 42. Have you seen 42? I have. Um, The most unrealistic movie about something that actually happened. (laughs) That's that's true. I could, I could see why some of it's, I can see why you'd say that. So that's my, that's my confession. You got, you got one TJ? So while fully agreeing with everything that Sean has to say about <laughs> sports movies. I'm going to be on an I island here. Also, I will also say that my favorite one is A League of Their Own. Uh, League of Their Own is a classic. It's so good. Do you, There's no do you, crying in baseball. Do you know I that the that. last member of that team, the actual Rockford Peaches, just uh-huh. died this last week? I did not, not the know The last that. surviving mm. member just, just passed this last week. Wow. Mm. In fact, the director of that film, I think, died just last year. Sure. Um, yeah, and, they, uh, the story not a high note here. <laughs> and, and, and Madonna's career died a long time ago. Yeah, there That's you true. go. Yes. Just, just yes. death surrounds this week. Yeah. Um, I am on, on the realistic side. I, lo- I consider movies, uh, I consider documentaries movies, and just love everything that has come out from ESPN on the 30 for 30 side. Um, but my favorite 30 for 30 is called Chasing Tyson. It is a documentary about Evander Holyfield 
and him mm-hmm. wanting to become a heavyweight champion of the world. Um, I did baseball and football, know way more about baseball and football than, than any other sport, but mm-hmm. I love boxing. I don't know what it is. It's just recently, too. Are you are you a boxing fan, Sean? I am. My wife hates it, so I never watch yeah. it. She feels like it's brutal. Um, yeah. And so I don't watch it. Can I can I get a plug in though? My favorite thirty for thirty is uh-huh. about the Fab Five. It's stellar. Um, because my great uncle is a man named Perry Watson, and he okay. was a assistant coach on that Michigan team, and he coached wow. Jawan Howard and those and several of those guys from the Fab Five in high school. He's still alive. He's actually just a couple of years younger than my mom. And so that's my that's my my grandmother's from Detroit. So it's cool to watch that documentary because I get to see my great uncle in it. Yeah. Nice. The role of this is true of my second favorite sports film, which is Ken Burns baseball documentary. But the the role of sports in culture and especially in economics, I find just deeply fascinating role of management and labor is just on display in ways that you don't necessarily see at Walmart, but you you can see and really understand the plight of workers, especially in college athletics. And that Fab Five documentary is just wonderful in terms of people who are doing all the work are clearly the draw. Nobody's coming to Michigan basketball games to see you know, the president of the university. They're coming to see these, these players and they're just making nothing. Um, uh, it's, it's so good. Anyway. All right. Well, we are moving through each of the episodes of what a lot of folks online are saying the best sports documentary they've ever seen. Because they've seen no other ones. (laughs) That's probably right. (laughs) This is the first. It's really, it's really good. But I, I watched a 30 for 30 about, I mean, here's the thing about 30 for 30, right? If you've seen it, like it, you don't have to care about the team or the subject and you will find yourself like drawn in as like those people know how to make a documentary because I really don't care about lacrosse. Yep. But yep. I'm going to yep. sit here for two hours and watch this thing because I've been captivated by the way they tell the stories. That's hmm. exactly right. They're, they're expert. I, I hope they really do more of these. They've gone to these long ones. Did, did you watch OJ in America or was that the name of it? Oh dude. Yeah. Made in America. Yeah. Made in Dude, America. That's it. I have a degree in OJ Simpson. Well, that's that's something I, to specialize in. Come on. Tell, like, t- talk about this. I have consumed everything OJ. Like I read all the books. I watched the entire trial. I've watched all the miniseries. Like yeah. I find that fa- like no one in my circles, in any of my circles, finds my OJ fascination interesting <laughs> in the least. But I'm just all about it. You got a hot take on uh, the 30 years removed, I suppose, but you got a hot take on this? Yeah, you're an expert. Can uh, you do it? Okay, here's my hot take on OJ. The, yeah. The LAPD tried to frame a guilty man. Ooh. Uh, that is, that's my favorite take ever. That actually is. I'm, <laughs> that's because there are some things that are just re- like the blood that was found on the sock in OJ's room where you have blood on both sides of the sock. Well, if there's a foot in the sock... You don't get blood on both sides. Like that was that was planted. Uh. Um, the glove was likely planted. Uh-huh. Um, there were some incredible mishaps, which probably happen every day in the way that blood was collected at the at the crime scene. You can't have your blood at the crime scene and 
at your home and have the victim's blood at the crime scene and at your home and not be guilty. Right. Um, and what kind of not guilty person leads the world's most infamous car chase? Right. Like, <laughs> and all I ever did was love Nicole. He comes, he cuts all but confesses. Um, he's got blood on the car. Like he clearly, he clearly did it. Yeah. Right there. I mean, there's just no doubt, but yeah. they wanted to make sure yeah. that he went down and, and in doing so they created their own doubt. The oh, LA- that's so interesting. So, yeah. um, because a woman, there's a woman who sees OJ. She OJ yells at her on his race back to the house. He, he she can identify him as the driver with blood on the door, racing during that time interval. But because she sold her story to Inside Edition, yeah, Marsha Clark decides not to put her on the stand. Like she Ooh. can she can place OJ in between the his house and the crime scene. Yeah, during the window that he would need to be. Uh, but she is, she excludes it. And Marsha Clark thinks this is basically the thing that she's seen a thousand times where it moves from abuse to murder. Like that happens all yeah. the time, but they yeah. just fail to explain that in it. So anyway, yeah, we could talk OJ all day. <laughs> all the, I, I, I have to confess that I have not yet seen this. I love sports documentaries. I keep looking at it because I just got ESPN Plus and I haven't got the emotional energy to do it. Yeah. I'm like, I, I probably need to be in a certain spot and certain frame of mind. And, and, and dark things affect me um, in, a, in, a, in an emotional way that I don't like sometimes. And so I'm like, well, I'll just at some point here. But you, get, you gave me some, some energy there. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle well, that. Well, this take, week. take it in pieces. And, 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 and the Fox, the Fox miniseries they did while David Schwimmer looks ridiculous. Um, and well, John Travolta looks even more ridiculous is really good. Yeah. My favorite thing on the, the, that whole episode was when announcing the verdict, one of OJ's lawyers clearly is, is really beside himself in feeling yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah Robert, just Robert Cardassian is like, are you, are you kidding? Like, yeah. How did that even happen? Is, is that who it is? Like, cause there's, yeah. that's the dude. Yeah. Okay. Uh, See, Robert, I, I don't Robert, watch the Kardashians either. Robert but. Kardashian <laughs> of the Kardashians. Yes. Like, so. yes. <laughs> I should probably, to, I'm a philosopher. I don't, I, I only do pop culture in terms of superheroes and sci-fi films and basketball documentaries, which brings <laughs> us to episode two of the last dance. So. Bunch of stuff. I, I want to say that each of these episodes probably have had a name and they just cut them. But this <laughs> one's called Pippin because this one is really going to center on elevating Scottie Pippin, telling mm-hmm. you who this person is, why he matters in terms of the Bulls season. There's going to be uh, stuff with Jordan and his foot and, again, his drive to win. There's going to be stuff on Jordan and his awareness of the weaknesses of other people. But... Let's jump into a second character, and that's Sky Pippen. Mm-hmm. In good news for us, Sean and I agree that uh, Sky Pippen is an Enneagram Nine. Um, so TJ, being the resident Enneagram Nine, you want to give yeah. us the the quick throwdown for Enneagram? Uh, yeah, we're uh, I identify as a Nine. Uh, our people are. Um, we avoid conflicts. Uh, we want everything to go peaceful and harmoniously. Uh, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We don't want to assert ourselves. And we, yeah, we just, we want everyone to get along. And we feel like our presence doesn't matter. 
I so. want you to push into that and yep. how nines use passive aggressive techniques because oh, that we'll may come there. up later. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> well, this is the thing about uh, you want to set this up, Sean, in terms of like Pippin's story here with uh, in yes. this episode. So Pippin's an Arkansas kid, right? And so it tells mm-hmm. a story going back to his um, his family, large family, which contributes to me making thinking that he's a nine, like. You survive in large families, right, by being really aggressive or merging. Uh, (laughs) Really aggressive or really invisible. Um, And he goes off to college. He's a point guard. Then he shoots up and grows. Um, But, like, he's just not, like, Pippin never seems to pursue much of anything. And he gets drafted by the Bulls, and Michael Jordan is there. And there are very few seconds in the basketball in basketball history who were happy being seconds the entire time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So um, what does, what does Shaq do right when Penny Hardaway in Orlando starts to get more and more acclaim? Like he makes a mm. commercial where he locks the, knocks a little Penny doll off the couch. Uh, like mm. I'm who's, whose team is this? Right. Um, Kobe and Shaq could never coexist together. Like over yeah. and over again, you get these two stars and they could never coexist for very long unless one's at the beginning of their career and one's at the end, but never in their prime. But Pippin oh, never, that's a good, never that's a good, has a good a, point right there, by the yeah. way. That's a great point. Anyway, but Pippin never has a problem with it. Like he defers to Jordan, even when Jordan is um, in his 18 month sabbatical retirement, whatever it is, like he's inviting yeah. Michael to come back. That's really odd. Kyrie leaves LeBron in Chicago, in Cleveland because he wants to be the leader of his own team and then realizes yep. that's not as easy as he thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't happen unless there's something in your uh, mental, emotional DNA that allows for it. And so that's why I see a lot of nine energy in Pippen, but also two events that Pippen is not heralded for kind of signal that to me. One is that he had been hurt before. And so he takes a long-term deal. This is in the documentary for less money than he could have get. He could have gotten because he wants to make sure his family's taken care of. And if he gets injured again, he wants to, so he's playing for most of his career, that first three P well under what he should have been paid. And father's in a wheelchair and his brother's in a wheelchair. Yeah. Right. Right. And he's taking care of the family. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, that's a good point. And then when Jordan is retired the first time, the 18-month break, Phil draws up a play for him at the end of the game, draws up a play, and Tony Kukoc is called on to make the final shot, and Scotty thinks it should have been him. And the moment I saw that, yeah. I thought, right action. Let's talk, let's talk about that. Oh, you saw it, right action. I thought yeah. your presence doesn't matter, and so I'm going to withdraw. No, no, no. I, what I saw is... It's it's the right thing right now is for me to take that shot. Uh-huh. And when a nine has made a decision, yeah, they are not going to unmake that decision because it costs them so much in my read to get to the place where like he goes, I'm not going in. And he yeah. says, this is the f- so Kukoc makes the shot. They win the game like this is a black yeah. mark on Scotty's career. And he says, 23 years later. If I had it to do again, yeah, I would do the same 
thing. <laughs> I thought that was great. Like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you hear there, TJ? In that well, whole okay, story? unpack that particular event for me. Well, um, what happens is this is when it's Scotty's team because Michael is in retirement. Uh-huh. And they're in a close game late, and Phil Jackson, the coach, draws up a play that has yep. this other player, Tony Kukoc, taking the final shot. Yeah. And it's supposed to be at this point, not Michael's team, but Scotty's team. Right. And this is a play they've run before, and it's worked before. Uh-huh. Scotty decides he's not going back in because he feels insulted that he's not taking the last shot of the game. So he doesn't go back in. It's a big deal. But... The Bulls win. Kukoc makes the shot that Phil Jackson thinks he... So it all works out. It's bad for Scotty PR-wise then. It's been yeah. bad for him ever since. And yeah. he still says 23, 24 years later <laughs> yeah. that if he had the decision to make, he'd make the same decision. And my experience with uh, the nines that I know and love is like once they have come to a decision, mm-hmm. they're not uncoming from that decision. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, so I... I wouldn't have chosen to use the words right action, but okay. I agree at that pointing towards nineness, but I see that more as passive aggressive. Okay. Like, like that should have been me. And I'm, I, instead of, instead of like, like if Jordan had been there, Jordan would have prevented Kukoc from being the one doing it. Right. Like Jordan would have taken control and what, what, Pippen did was step back and said, okay, I'm not participating at all Mm -hmm. since you're doing it the way I don't want to. Mm. Uh, And like, that's, that speaks to me a lot about like this, this is how nines take control is they just, they withdraw, Mm. they step back and they say, okay, you're going to do it the way I don't want to do it. I'm just not going to participate. Yeah. The, so much of his basketball career in that, story ends up being just a bold illustration of it is Scotty, you are a second and you really are expendable. We could get somebody else in here who would do just as good a job as you would. Whereas you watch him play. I thought that his athleticism in this documentary came across as much higher as than Jordan's. Like some of, some of the shot, some of the scenes I thought, golly, that guy just has, such amazing uh, physical abilities, but his contract is an issue. He's not getting paid what others are, and so his presence doesn't matter. There's a whole thing about how how uh, the general manager wants to trade him because his presence doesn't matter. And here, it's crunch time. You're the leader, but not for when it what it really is about. The last shot, we're going to give that to the other guy, and so your presence doesn't and, matter. That was my and, read, and and I use right action in the sense that he thought it was right. Oh sure, yeah, and yeah. plus the year he had, he had heard his he was he was injured and didn't get surgery in the mm-hmm. off season and waited till the season came to have surgery, uh, which meant that he was out for half the season. Right. Uh, kind of well before Shaq said, if you get injured on company time, you get well on company time. And in the, do- in the documentary, Scotty says, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to f- my summer up. Like, right. yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk, did you hear that one, TJ? I yeah, was gonna, I, I did hear that talk, part of it. Talk about that. Cause I think that's, that is total nine is coming out. Go ahead. Well, and I, I'm also, I want to draw in, um, Jordan's perspective on that part, mm. that particular action as well. Um, but the, that idea of uh, like he put off 
taking care of himself for so long and then did it at a time when it was most convenient for him, but like not really thinking about how it would like how the ripples would affect other people, like how the or how the ripples would affect him in the long run, I guess the, um, just very interesting about like this, that seems like, like he's trying to protect his comfort Mm. in a way. (laughs) You know, I've got a question about that because some of it had to do with his contract. Right. Right. And so like, is it like, would a nine see that as I have already sacrificed? I have already not taken care of myself monetarily. So you're going to pay for me to take care of myself now. Like during, there is, I'm gonna, yeah, there, I think there is something there, but I, I think, I don't know if Jordan actually said this in the interview, but like it, he definitely alluded to it. And this, this like pinged in me super hard was that. What Scotty was trying to do was trying to force management to change his contract. There is also a sense of manipulation there of where, of him stepping back to show how much they need him when he's not there. Right. And, and look and at how did. hard, yeah, look at how badly the team did when he wasn't playing. And this was at a peak time for the team. It was such a big deal that he stepped out at that time. Now, is he doing that to prove it to himself or the team or both? Uh, I think... I I would guess if he is a nine, I'm guessing he's he's doing it to prove it to people who are not acknowledging it. Okay. okay. I I think yeah. that he has full confidence in his own ability, but I don't think that he thinks other people see that. Right. He feels like his presence doesn't matter, not that he is worthless. Okay. That certainly comes out in his relationship uh, with the general manager. Yeah. I sort of took the attitude of disrespect in him to some degree but he has and here's another nine-ish quality it's not just the passive aggressive disrespecting him he has outbursts of anger apparently on the bus where he's he's yelling from the back of the bus at inappropriate times where he actually has to get called out and you you watch this guy in the interviews you're like that guy isn't yelling at somebody from the back of the bus but apparently this is true and that's it there's another nine quality yeah. Brings us to something that I wanted to talk about in terms of, especially now that we type Jordan as an eight, the relationship between Jordan and Pippen is special and it's worth talking about. And what one of the things that TJ and I have talked about uh, on this combination of eight, nine, is this may be one of the real difficult relationships, even when both people are healthy, hmm. because eights use conflict to navigate the world mm-hmm. and nines avoid conflict in order to get what they want. So you got thoughts on that, Teach? Well, I'd, I'd be really interested to see like the alternate universe where Pippin gets drafted to the Bulls and Jordan isn't there. Um, just to see how his career progresses without someone like Jordan in charge of him. Yeah. Because I would bet that a significant, um, like he for sure became a better ball player because he was attached to Jordan because Jordan pushed him because Jordan led him to becoming a better athlete. Yep. But also I wonder how he could have done that with someone that wasn't constantly holding him down. Hmm. 
in the way that Jordan would have. Well, and, and we see that, right? Like later in his career when he plays in Houston and other places, he's never quite the same without Jordan. Yeah. Even though right. he's great. Right. You know. Um, right. Like, or, or imagine Jordan as a three who's, who is a cheerleader and also going to be aggressively pushing the, the nine to better himself. What kind of player could have Pittman become without dealing with the constant conflict that would have been there between him and Jordan? There is something about this documentary. The thing that stuck out to me most was that how much Jordan elevates Scottie Pippen in this documentary, especially if Jordan owns the rights to the footage. He's intentionally making Pippen second, and he intentionally says, I won all these championships, but I didn't win without Scottie Pippen. Yeah. I wonder how many times he said that to Pippen when he was actually playing with him. Exactly. No, I think I think that's entirely right on one front. And two, I thought that was really striking and was Michael Jordan has grown up Mm -hmm. and is able to say that now. And I found I found it one of the more interesting lines in the whole piece. You guys got thoughts on that? I think I find it interesting because I think this has always been their dynamic. I remember watching it in real time is that and to put it in Enneagram language, Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player ever and people knew that in his prime Mm -hmm. and he would stand there and say like i'm nothing without pip and so if your if your orientation is that your presence doesn't matter then what sort of ego boost spine stealing Mm -hmm. is that kind of language about who you are as a as a player yeah and he's never like he's never bristled against being a number two Mm-hmm. Did he say to qualify? Did Michael Jordan say that in the day? Like oh, yeah. at the time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I missed that okay. in terms of that being put in the documentary. So that's that's new for me. Yeah. So talk about that. Like that is something he was saying into a microphone. This is how yeah. much Pippen means. Right. And like he was mad. That's why he was mad when Scotty wouldn't play. And yeah. when Scotty didn't do things like the migraine game and the back game, yeah. you can kind of even see it in. Jordan's affect, like, yeah, Scotty yeah. had a migraine. And he knows the right thing is to say, hey, if he had a migraine, he had a migraine. Like, he knows yeah. that's the right thing to say. But you can kind of see that he kind of thinks it's kind of BS. <laughs> like, yeah. like, he kind of thinks, if I had a migraine, I'd still be out there dropping 36 and 10. <laughs> this is, again, one of those places I wanted to hear from you, Teach, in terms of how stress affects the body of a nine. I know sure. my mom was a nine and mm. all of her issues went into her physicality. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have that at times, but that came out in Sky Pippen's career that sometimes at the highest points, the points that we, you cannot let us down, yeah. his body would fail him. Yeah. So there's an, an element here of like the, the pressure of having to perform in these ways where he thinks he might fail. Like we feel that in our bodies in a way that that like like because we carry so much in our bodies but we don't know how to engage from that place like we take in the world through that center nines do but we don't engage from that center so it's like it it comes in and it gets stuck Mm. And and it it doesn't come out in appropriate ways. This happens with anger as well. Like it it doesn't come out of us in appropriate ways. So so like 
I have no idea whether or not Scottie Pippen actually had migraines, but I would totally believe that someone under that much pressure to perform in the conflict, in the not feeling like your presence matter, like in all of that, I would absolutely believe that his body was just like, nope, not doing it today. Mm. And he didn't know how to push himself past those things. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's really insightful. I mean, that's one of the things. Do you? I mean, I'm sure you guys know um, Marion Gilbert. Like one, and in a lot of her Enneagram instruction, she talks about the somatic effects of mm. of how we of how our numbers affect us, and I think it's really important. So that's why I think TJ, what you said there is so important. I'd never thought when watching the documentary. Um, I need to go back and see now about those sort of bodily effects because it does. I mean, like he famously in the. In, during his playing career had migraines, but like right. you're talking about crucial games yeah. uh, or the, the game where his back went out game six of the third repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes up early in the game for a dunk and his back just like, so he could, he's, he's half himself, if not less the rest of the game, man, I need to go back and watch it and look for, look for other signs of that. That's really insightful. It's also the case. Like I, I love that you bring up, what did you say? Somatic, Responses. Yeah. That is a word that I've only heard from eights. You're the first person that's not an eight that uses that vocabulary in my hearing. Okay. Um, that it's again a body type thing. It's just very aware of your physicality in terms of how it's affecting what your emotions, your disposition, how you're engaged in the world. There's a thought: How is my body doing in this place? Do you do you think about your body in those ways, uh, Sean? I do, but only in the fact, like I knew I was going to have a really tough day today because of some things that we were dealing with at work. And so I arranged my day to work out immediately after kind of a big meeting because mm. I, because I knew that I would care. I carry so much tension about, um, because I'm a self-pres three about yeah. what this, what this is going to mean for me, my family, you know, the people around I love. And so, um, when, when you are an aggressive number, your instinct is to believe that you can fix it. You can fix everything. Yeah. And so the way you internalize that is by carrying it with you. So when, when I hear eights talk about carrying things around in their body, I also, I want to tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, threes and sevens do that too. <laughs> right? uh, but, uh, because yeah. it's, it's part of, it's, it's that part of be- that deep belief that you can have an effect on the world and you can't release yourself until you have had that effect on the world until you yeah. have produced that desired outcome. I would also guess that I I would need to confirm this with some sevens, but I would guess that threes get it more than sevens because it's also a stress response at nine. Okay. Well, my youngest daughter's a seven. Okay. And so, uh, and all kids do this. She's 13. And like my kids, I don't like typing kids because you can be so wrong, but they are really right. deep, especially my 16 year old, really deep into the Enneagram. Sure. Um, but my seven has a stomach ache every night during this quarantine. Hmm. Right. She feels it. And so and like they all they all like we have an exercise bike, like everybody's on it every day and we're all on it every day for different reasons. And we all can articulate <laughs> those reasons. Um, but she just she's just like a little atom that's locked up in a ball. Right. And it's just pinging around. Mm-hmm. Every, and so yep. she knows that for her body that if she doesn't do something with all of that energy, it's almost I think to her, it feels like it's going to explode. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, test, I, that's one seven, right? So to test that with some other. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Jordan on Pippen uh, transitioning, he, he says that every day that Scotty wasn't playing gave someone else confidence that they can beat us. And if you're trying to maintain dominance over people, you don't want to give them a chance to gain confidence. So that drove my energy. Um, that was another great eight quote there in terms of just very aware of power dynamics mm -hmm. and also elevating Pippen again to say this is how much his presence matters. Because it pushes into his leadership style, especially where everybody else wasn't keeping up. Um, there was there was a place where uh, one of the characters, uh, one of the other players or commentators said, through trial and error, through the bl that blast furnace that Michael would put people through, Scotty, in, in years past, got tough, and he was a lethal force defensively. Mm -hmm. So my experience with eights is that they tend to see themselves as the steel in the glove, right? Yeah. And so when he says that about Scotty, like he's like, Scotty's super, super talented. He doesn't have this reinforcement inherent in him that he needs. And I don't know if that's true of all nines, but just maybe true of Scotty. And so, like, I'm that, but, like, I have to have a glove to be the steel in the glove, right? Mm. Um, and that's what Scotty was for him. And when he talks about, like, every time Jordan talks about teammates, he's like, when I believed that he was going to be there, and Scotty was the one who yep. was always there. I think, is Scotty the only one that was, along with Jordan, as part of both three-peats? Yeah, I, I think so. As I was watching, aside from Jackson... Yeah, uh, but on the court, I can't think of any other players that were part of both three-peats. Yeah, I can't either. There you go. Yeah, me either. The <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this got on tape, but we were talking about it before. There was the the language that uh, Jordan was using of supporting Scotty uh, was something you brought up earlier. Mm -hmm. When you stand by Scotty, he gets stronger. But isn't, TJ, that, isn't that fascinating, though? How Jordan understood people, like I, I yeah. Find so that we'll talk about that. Like, what what is it that's popping for you there? That he under like I'm sure Scotty Pippen never walked into him and said, "Hey, you know what? When you stand next to me, I get stronger." Like that's probably, that's just not a way mm. that that most professional athletes talk to themselves. But Jordan seemed to to know that about people, and the eights that I know do intuit a lot about the nature of people. Yep, mm -hmm. which I which I really find fascinating. I think threes do that as well, but not as intuitively. I, I think threes are much more intuitive about what the person is feeling right now versus who the person is at their core. The one of the things that TJ and I have talked about in the past is how eights will parent in terms of wanting their kids to be as strong as they are. And that's if, if Jordan's an eight, that's what I see him doing for a lot of maybe not Pippin, but certainly the, the up and coming support crew that he's got. Mm -hmm. He's pushing. Um, we'll talk about how eights parent. Well, there, there's a sense of like in the desire to protect themselves they're also like they're they're partly seeing their their child as an extension of their own vulnerabilities which they are working hard to protect by creating strength in them um so like thinking about jordan as as a leader in that way like like he's also working to build these people up so that they don't need his protection hmm 
like so that they will be strong enough to stand on their own because that actually makes him stronger because if if they require him then he is also bound to them and and he's he's vulnerable to them in that way I think he's especially aware of his own vulnerability when championship moments come and that's where he's he's building up the the supporting cast so that they can be yeah. He can, they can be the army that he is not going to be let down by right. when shots start getting fired. Yeah. So BJ, you know, BJ Armstrong says that Michael got to the point where he looked at his teammates and he would think, my teammates are here to play the game. I'm here yep. to win the game. Yep. Mm. Like when it, when it gets down to the last shot of the game, the last yep. defensive stop, whatever, like that's sort of, my time. And I think that goes back to what he experienced in college, um, hitting that shot in the NCAA tournament. Like this is my role to play in life. But for you to get us there, Scotty, Bill Cartwright, Tony Kukoc, whoever it is, like, like you've got to be tough. Well, and that comes out in the third episode when he's talking with Rodman about filling Scotty's positions. Mm -hmm. There's conversations on the sideline where Jordan is saying Rodman, Scotty wasn't going to be around, and we needed you to be more accountable. I need to count on you. How, how does that come out of the heart and mind of an eight, of actually saying you need to be strong in these spots because I'm vulnerable? You know what I mean? I remember, I remember the conversation on the bench. Yeah. Because Jordan knows that he's going to be double teamed, right? And this is the play that ends up with the, uh, the kick out to Kerr that yeah. Kerr shoots. Um, yeah, so then this is just my experience with eights. My experience with eights is that they don't necessarily count on you to come through in the clutch for everything, but for this one thing. Like, this is the way you support me. And like, so remember, like, because the, the eights in my life, I'm very clear about communicating this. I will not betray you. Which mm-hmm. is, and another way of saying that is like, I will not let you down when you need me the most. Yeah. Mm. It, that's what the practices are about, aren't they? Like Jordan is testing that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think that goes to the mindset of, of, of really what comes out in this documentary there. He understands that Rodman is strong. Mm-hmm. When they bring Rodman in for their second three-peat run, I think he's 100% in. Mm-hmm. He, he has seen this guy beat him up and knows, oh, yeah, that's, that's the sort of guy that I want on my team going into battle. Rodman, uh, who we're uh, going to type as an Enneagram 4, um, <laughs> the first thing he says in this documentary, and I would love to hear your thoughts on Enneagram 4 and how this works, but he says, You know, you got the great Michael Jordan, the great Scottie Pippen, the great Phil Jackson, but if you take me away from this team... Do they still want a championship? I don't think so. I love Michael Jordan to death. I love Scottie Pippen, all these guys. But they really don't do the things that I do. Right. What do you What do you hear there uh, coming out of the heart of a four? <laughs> um, well, my goodness, um, that's almost sort of written on the wall there. With right. with. <laughs> Like I am, I am unique and special that even the greatest coach, the greatest player, the greatest number two on a team couldn't win without me. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, 
And like, I may not be as good as them at their thing, but I am something different. Yeah. I'm the best in the world at this thing that I do. Yeah. Right. Which is That's play what, defense and rebound. Yeah. That was the thing that stood out to me most in terms of, I wonder if this is a, a, a lesson for all Enneagram types. Rodman knows his type and how he functions in the world that he wants to be unique. And when he finds his niche defense and rebounds, he's a hundred percent in on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I find, so being a one, I'm a reactive type. I find that in conversations, in sports, when I play video games and want to win, I am routinely reacting to what everybody else is throwing my way. Cause I feel like I can, you know, jujitsu this sucker and use their energy and read their energy and then move forward in the way that I want to. And here, Rodman in a similar way is saying, I know I'm unique and want to understand my own uniqueness, and this is where it, where it's at. Yeah. And the Bulls accepted and applauded his uniqueness, right? Yep. And like mm-hmm. that's, why, that's why it worked there and did not work in San Antonio. And mm. I'm, I'm a Spurs fan <laughs> to the core, right? But yeah. he was just not going to fit with Greg Popovich, and David Robinson, and like yep. that was not going to work. But Phil Jackson not only understood it, but nurtured that individualism and said, even, even Jordan. Um, yep. Like Phil calls Jordan in to make sure it's okay with Michael that Dennis goes to Vegas for a couple of days. Yep. Um, and Jordan's like, he, Jordan knows he's not going to come back on time, right? But but he also he also intuits that that's something that he needs, and we'll just handle it on the other end. So, Look, it, have you seen talk- the have you seen the thirty for thirty about Dennis Rodman? I saw the Bad Boys. I did not okay. see the one that was exclusively about Rodman. So if if you watch that thirty for thirty, you will come away thinking, oh yeah, that's so much for energy right mm-hmm. there. And and like if he hadn't been a basketball player, he should have been a poet. Um, because (laughs) his life is just his early life until the NBA is just pain after pain, after pain, after pain. And that's what creates this person that we see in the NBA. Um, and it's probably a four with a three wing because a lot of people say most, a lot of that is manufactured because that's the image he created for himself. But I mean, he's off with King Kim Jong-un. You know, <laughs> that's right. It's so like like coming back to one of the things we said right at the beginning. Like one of the what we think is sort of unique about the world of sports is that you can't separate the person on the court or field or arena from the person outside of that venue. And and Dennis Rodman I think is a great example of this <clears throat> because when you look at that guy in the world, he screams for energy. <laughs> Like the the white dresses and mm-hmm. and the hair and like one of the first people to really make those kinds of tattoos into a public spectacle. Yeah. Um, like like this is a guy who wants attention and wants it for being different, mm-hmm. not for being great, not for being nice, but for being different. What I love that you said, Sean, on exactly this front from TJ is that the heart's message that he needs to hear that you are seen and understood for who you are, your value for who you are, is something that team could give to him. And that unleashed a fantastic basketball player. 
Right. Where San Antonio wasn't able to do that. The Hart's message ends up being core to, to these guys, to, to how Pippin is navigating in the world and Jordan is and, and hear how Rodman is. So I, I imagine if he goes to Phil Jackson and says, hey, man, I need a couple of days. I need to go to Ve- I need to go to Vegas. Yeah. And Phil says, no, you can't. And Michael comes in and says, no, you can't. Every four that I've ever known walks away and goes, they don't get me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And when a four says they don't get me, what they are really saying is they don't love me. Woo! They don't yeah. Come care on. about me. Yeah. I, I asked a four friend of mine, like, could there be a could there be something beautiful that wasn't complex? And she looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> what a ridiculous uh, <laughs> question, Sean. Come on, man. <laughs> and like he like he looks at himself and he thinks, I am so complex that mm-hmm. I don't even understand me. No one yeah. else can. And yeah. that's probably true. Yeah. And he also does isn't trying to explain himself either. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. This is who I am. Yep. Dennis Rodman wears dresses, and that is the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> he is the one using the language of affection in this documentary. I can't think of much from anyone else, but when he's saying that I love Michael Jordan or I love Sky Pippen, that's coming mm-hmm. from deep mm-hmm. places from him, and it's coming from exactly those experiences. Yep. And, and, and why does he love them? Because they didn't try to change him, him, right? Yep. Oh, come on. that's good um we're going to talk about phil jackson and just the wisdom that comes in but that's exactly it like great coaches understand their players and that they all need very different things again one of the reasons the enneagram is such a fantastic tool on exactly this front um talk about rodman and the press he says this, he says, Think about this team, people don't understand. It's just not basketball that we have to deal with on this team. It's not just, ba- it's, it's, it's the pressure of, of, of the You know, I'll play the game for free, but you get paid for the after you leave the floor. The public pressure, the media pressure. Basketball is simple, it's a simple game. But when you leave this, 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 this confined zone, it's hard, it's hard. And then he explicitly says to the reporters, yeah, like I said, I never have to prove anything to people in this country or this business because they can, you know, this business kiss my ass. I don't give a damn what they think about me. How is that rolling off the tongue and heart of a four? Well, I mean, isn't isn't part of that that I am I am so unique that I can't be understood. I'm so complex that I can't be understood. Yeah. Almost kind of like um, you simple people who get up and go to mundane jobs and make your bed every day. <laughs> uh, like that you can't possibly understand a figure like me and aren't like, I always, you know, envy, right. Is always two sided uh-huh. in that people who envy always think there are other people who envy them. And the reason sure. that, the reason that so-and-so doesn't like you or is because they're just, they're just envious. So when it comes to, okay, like, so when it comes, let me explain my understanding of the centers, right? So let's just take that feeling center. So if twos are so other focused in their feelings, it's like almost like I'm feeling what you like. It's always outward directed. Mm -hmm. Threes are like this. It's in and out, in and out, in and out. I, I feel what you're feeling, but I can't deal with what I'm feeling. 
I'm not going to use it to make decisions. Like fours are like, I'm feeling, but there's a wall right here, like two feet in front of me. And the only feelings I see are mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. And um, the reason he doesn't care what everybody else thinks and feels about him is because they're fundamentally not important. They're not as important as what he feels about him. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. it's not that he doesn't care totally. It's relativized to how he feels about himself. And if he's not able to express what he feels, yeah, that's a capital sin versus other people who that's, that's a minor infraction. Does that make that's sense? Great. That's that a makes, great line. What yeah. you say? What did you say about that, Teach? I love that. That insight is great. Um, I'm also fascinated by, like, I see this in a lot of fours, particularly fours of the three wing. The guy who has made himself into a public spectacle is telling the people that he doesn't care <laughs> what they think about him. Yeah, yeah. When people who really legitimately do not care what other people think about them do not need to explain themselves. Yeah. But but this is this is very common in a lot of fours, particularly fours with a three wing, is the need to say out loud, I don't care what you think about me. And part of it is to get a reaction. And part of it is to make sure they establish this this persona of being the person who is different and doesn't care what you think about me. No one is really interesting. No one who envies doesn't care what other people think. Right. That's that's their whole filter. <laughs> well, I gotta yeah. think on that one. That's good. The uh, episode three ends with the Pistons, and again, if we're typing Jordan as an eight, his vulnerability comes out here and maybe nowhere else in the in the whole documentary. Maybe when his his father uh, is killed, it comes out. But he really feels vulnerable playing this one team who apparently know that he's the best player on the planet and come out ready to physically abuse him in order to win those games. Detroit had Jordan rules just for Michael. I don't know how he came out of it alive. And he, in this documentary, holds grudges and hatred and anger for these folks to this day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Once you burn an eight, it's over. You never get that back. (laughs) (laughs) Ever. The yeah. uh, yeah, do you want to comment on his relationship with uh, in defeat there and the feelings of vulnerability? So at that time in his career, right, he was, hey, you're just a scoring champion. You'll never be a you'll never be Magic. You'll never be Larry. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was the wall that um, was in front of him. So as an aggressive number, right, it's move against. It's move against. Move against. Mm -hmm. Move against. Move against. Mm -hmm. That's what you wake up to do. And so I think if, if he's an eight, what happens is when they don't congratulate them, when the Pistons don't congratulate the Bulls. We shook their hands when they beat us. There was a certain respect to the game that we paid to them. That's sportsmanship, no matter how much it hurts. Yeah. That idea in eights that I rose to your challenge and overcame it, and then you didn't acknowledge it, is the yeah. ultimate disrespect. Like it's Ooh. not, it's not okay. like a, and that's another difference. Like a three would not handle it that way. Like a three would say, I beat you. 
you know it and I know it. The world knows it. Let's let's go yeah. on with life. But yeah. because that's what he would do. Right. So that's yeah. a, that's one of the great learnings of the Enneagram is that we assume everybody would do what we would do. <laughs> and, yeah. Right. And then we learn, oh, maybe not. Um, yeah. He would say, if you beat Michael Jordan, he would say, you beat me. You earned this. Yeah. And they didn't do that. And that to him is probably the most invalidating thing that anyone could ever do. And like you see it in his eyes and his affect when Isaiah Thomas's name is mentioned. He hates Isaiah yeah. To this day, and it's like I I he, I respect him as a basketball player. He does not respect him as a person. Yeah, yeah. because an eight for an eight—that's what you do. Like when you when you set a challenge for other people and they rise to it, you acknowledge it. You may only acknowledge it for like two seconds, but that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Did did they talk about this in the documentary that Jordan got Isaiah discluded? From the dream team? <laughs> they did. Jordan says that he was not responsible. Yeah. Uh, and he says a lot of other players didn't like <laughs> didn't like Isaiah either. <laughs> oh, okay. And so Jordan will say it wasn't because of me. Yeah. But I think the common wisdom is that it was. But he does say that that was the greatest camaraderie he had ever experienced with other players. And it would have yeah. been different if Isaiah had been there. That's right. I, yeah. Um, and I think just in basketball terms, not in Enneagram terms necessarily. Like the thing is the, the bad boys, the Detroit Piston bad boys relished being the bad boys and except for Rodman because he was so yeah. young and they've paid for it ever since. Nobody mm. likes them. They, they do not get to sit at the cool kids table to this day. <laughs> and, and that's the, that's the price. Like that's why, I mean, Bill Lambeer just like two months or so ago said that he thinks LeBron James is the greatest of all time, not Michael Jordan. And it doesn't matter if he really thinks that. He said that because the animosity is still so strong yeah. between those two teams. And that's why yeah. Bill Lambeer is a championship coach in the WNBA, not the downgrade women's basketball at all. But the NBA community, yeah. they are locked out. Like, they are not liked people. Except John, mm -hmm. John Sally, um, because he played for everybody. He played for half teams in the league. Um, and Dennis Rodman. Yeah. That's interesting. And that, I mean, that goes to the theme of that 30 for 30, where the last line of bad boys is if you don't, if you don't respect them, don't like them, they don't give a f Yeah. And they, they cut the last word and, and roll tape. And I wonder if you have to get to when you are in that position, if you're like, well, since people don't like me, I'm going to go hang out in the smoker's corner and, <laughs> and, and give you the finger. Counterphobic but, six team. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, moving to episode four there, they've set up the characters. It's Jordan Pippen Rodman. Now it's going to be about the team and it's going to be about, about uh, Phil Jackson. Um, you want to talk, uh, Sean, about why you think Jackson is a three? Uh, there's one quote that makes me, that has so much three energy, which is like, you're, on, you're only a success at the completion of your last successful act. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that has so much three vibe. Like, what next, what next, what next? It's at least aggressive number. And like, you're talking about a guy who has 13 rings, two as a player yeah. and the rest as a coach. Yeah. You don't, you don't get that without being extremely competitive um to phil jackson's credit he will say 
it always helps to have the best players on the planet, which he always has. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he's probably positioning himself in some ways. I mean, Bulls may be stumbling into that, but is he positioning himself to look successful? Maybe. I mean, like he starts off as a coach that he, he goes down to Puerto Rico or whatever it is and kind of wins a championship down there. Um, Jerry Krause finds him, kind of pulls him off the heap. Like he yeah. he sh- he shows up for a job interview, his first NBA job interview, like not really dressed for an interview. So that makes me think maybe not three. I would vacillate between a three mm. with a a three with a four wing and a four with a three wing. No three I know would show up shabbily dressed for a job interview. Like that just won't ever happen. When I interviewed for my yeah. current job, I had to drive three hours to get here. I brought a change of clothes so I wouldn't be wrinkled and changed behind a target <laughs> by a dumpster. <laughs> yeah. Right? Did you bring a backup set just in case? I bought a look, my second interview on my way down here, I bought a Houston Astros polo because I yeah, knew. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I get it when my friends say I, Sean Palmer is the most three you'll ever meet at a three. Like like I'm the most three. I am. Don't let other here. Don't let other threes hear you say that. Man. <laughs> Start a competition. Um, yeah. So um, I, I find that a little bit his his fascination with Zen Buddhism. Um, you know, he's a preacher's kid who smokes weed and does like, and he understands Rodman. I there seems to be a lot of four energy four yeah. energy with a big three wing. Um, I know a couple of people who are really well known in the Enneagram space who are fours with three wings. And if you if you didn't know them well, you would think they were threes. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that 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 wing and the American economy re- when they show up for work, they're functionally threes. Um, yeah. Mm. The his when he's talking to Rodman about who Rodman is and really having depthy understanding of what this person uniquely needs. I find that the most interesting part of his character in, in this film. Dennis is always a, a rebel. At some point, you know, he, he wants to join the group, but the other part of him wants to be autonomous. So we, we appreciate the fact that he's a maverick, but yet uh, when it comes time for him to perform, he's always on the court force, always playing hard for us. Very self-aware, very self-controlled, has a very uh, has a strong teaching spirit to him, and does it in exactly the way you were saying. We're going to do something very different from the rest of the NBA. We're doing meditation, yoga, and Zen practices because what matters is we're all in this together, and we need to be focused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would imagine at that point in time that would be quite unique and would push into the the four side there oh, yeah, as well. Yeah. I like that him on the end on uh, the line though. And also with all of that, you know, he did this with the Lakers and the Bulls, right? Like he would have players read books, like big, thick, heavy books all the time, which means like, mm. oh, I, I see that five wing there too. Like, uh, right. So there's, a, I don't know, uh, TJ, you were going to offer something there. Well, I, I was just thinking about, um, again, I did not watch the whole thing. Uh, so I could be way off base on this, but, but thinking about his relationship with Jerry Krause, and the the sort of tension that existed there, like there's there's something there about him wanting to be sort of recognized as being something particularly special, without demanding it the way a three would. Yeah, 
Like, I feel like a three would sort of come out swinging a little bit more in that kind of relationship. Mm. Whereas he sort of accepts his fate and moves on. And and that, that may simply be the Zen practice like formed in him over time. I, I, because you mentioned that I see so much three energy in Jerry Krause. Mm. Yeah. And this is obviously, this is Michael Jordan's documentary, right? He, right. he owns the production company. Right. So let's not and never get away from that. He does not paint Jerry Krause in a very particularly nice light. Right. So, yeah. so what, is, what does Jerry Krause keep coming back to over and over again? Here he is surrounded by these tall, athletic, fit people. Yeah. He's short, fat, he, but he's the one that put together this team. Mm-hmm. He manages all of these, and he keeps saying it's the organization. We built a great organization. We like at the. I found Phil Jackson. All these things are true. I drafted Michael Jordan. I drafted mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen. I found Tony Kukoc, and he's not getting credit at all. Right. And the right. the players are consistently making fun of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a big one. And yeah. he feels like Phil could stop it. Phil is not fired. Yeah. Ooh, Phil's not fired because he's unsuccessful, but because he didn't stop it. And let me tell you, mm. as and this is not speak well of me. I will like <laughs> I just own my business as a three, right? Like to be made fun of, mm-hmm. and to and to look at this organization that you crafted, and yeah. not only not be recognized for the unique brilliance that you you brought to it, but to be made fun of for having done it, I could so easily see where he says, he's not coming back next year. We've got to rebuild in the next couple of years anyway. I'm going to bring in somebody else who appreciates who I am. And I think that's that's spot on. That's exactly right. You will notice that in the last episode, Phil Jackson gets up at the parade and does praise Krauss. And there is a point where I think Phil is, knows that he needs to calm Scottie Pippen down from shouting profanities from the back of the bus <laughs> and say, hey, that's not how we do things right now. But I think you're exactly right. Phil could have done more. And Phil's the only person who can control Michael Jordan. Right. And, and Jordan is the one who's pushing the boundaries. Are you strong enough to go into battle with us, Jerry? If you can't get made fun of a little bit and step up to the occasion, then apparently you're not. Right. And and who never makes fun of Jerry Krause? Dennis Rodman. That four Ooh. that four sensitivity, <laughs> like is just like like those yeah. those are real things. And so, yeah, I can see if I'm if I'm if I'm Jerry Krause and I'm the master who's put all of this together. I put this whole puzzle together, and everybody treats me like I'm just a piece of crap who doesn't matter. And they are all eating at the trough that I built. I did it one time. I can do it again. Yeah, sure. Stellar. Um, I think I saw you comment on this, Sean, that after winning the first title, Will Purdue said... I mean, everybody knows, has the picture of, uh, in their mind, when we beat Cleveland on that last shot, and he's punching the air, and he's all excited. That's who we knew. The competitive Michael Jordan. The win-at-all-cost Michael Jordan. Sometimes we question whether he was human whether he had feelings. It's just a guy that was totally focused on one thing and one thing only. The only emotion we had ever seen out of him was anger or frustration. And, and when he starts crying after getting that 
trophy, uh, Purdue says, We were literally stunned to see those emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's, what's going on there? Well, yeah, feeling repression <laughs> like yeah. is, a, is a simple, is a simple, um, <laughs> yeah, especially after that first one, like all of the, like that is I have conquered, right? Yeah. Um, and everything that I have, everything that I have been up against, like <laughs> I proved it. I have proved my, for an eight, it's I have proved my strength. Yes. And so for a moment, it's okay to not be strong because in this moment, no one can doubt my strength. There it is. There it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. He, he says after that quote, he says of his own emotions. At last, I fit somewhere in the category of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. And that's exactly it. Nobody can doubt my strength. Yeah. That's ah, good. Um, well, we're going to pick this up next time. Uh, real quick, it would mean the world to us if you would give us um, some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find us at aroundthecircle.org if you're looking for us on the web and at Around the Circle Podcast on Instagram. Um, but the best thing you can do is share this episode uh, with somebody that you love. Um, he is TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. This has been Sean Isaac Palmer, and I'm Jeff Cook, and who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, and you'll set the world on fire.